Over the past century or so, most all of us moved into the city where we rely on others to bring food to eat. But what if the day comes when others stop bringing us that food? That thought leads us to ask, can we farm our parking lots? Welcome to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with your host, Michael Olson. And now, get ready for one hour of What's Eating What Radio. Well, hello out there. You are tuned into the 1310th edition of the Food Chain Radio program. Or hey, perhaps you're among our friends up there in St. Petersport who are tuned into the Food Chain podcast at metrofarm.com. Well, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome aboard. I am Michael Olson, your host for this hour of What's Eating What. Folks, I once worked as a story producer for NBC Magazine with David Brinkley. One story we told was about the survivalist who believed the economy is going to collapse and so move more than one tank full of gas from the nearest big city, where they arm themselves with defensive weapons, store up canned foods, and hunker down to wait. Our story was titled, Armed for Armageddon. To get our establishing shot, we took the network camera and talent to a hilltop overlooking the Rogue Valley of Southern Oregon. Beyond you can see the Rogue Valley, the talent announced. This is where those survivalists hang out. What we saw looking down from that hilltop was that the beautiful farmland valley had been subdivided up into small ranchettes. But what captured my attention was the fact that nobody seemed to be growing any crops. On an impulse, I turned to Nancy Tappan, who published a newsletter for the survivalist community, and said, Nancy, we should write a pamphlet on how to make money by farming those small parcels of land. A month later, Nancy called and said, Michael, I sold your book. When looking around for who did make money by farming small parcels of land, I ran into an interesting statistic in the Census of Agriculture, which said, the most productive farmland in the United States in terms of dollar value of crops per acre were located in New York City's borough of the Bronx. The second most productive farmland was located in the city limits of San Francisco, and that farmland was generating an average of $76,421 per acre per year. When adjusted for inflation, that would be $263,129 in today's money from one acre of city farmland. Now, how so much money can be earned by farming so little land became the focal point of my book, Metro Farm, The Guide to Growing for Profit in or Near the City for the City. The most cities in the world traditionally got their food from farms that were relatively close by. American cities and other modern cities around the world, have learned to get their food from farms that are way off in the distance. But what if those survivalists were right? What if the day comes when the economies of farming food thousands of miles away stops making sense and the food stops coming? That thought leads us to ask, can we farm our parking lots? Well, here to help us explore that question, we have Jeff Herman, who is the editor-in-chief of LawnStarter.com. Jeff, welcome to the food chain. Good morning. How are you today? Just right. Thank you. Now, 
This week, the President of the United States announced that there will be a shortage of food. And this week, your publicist, or perhaps yourself, captured my attention with an email tease that read, Farming the Parking Lots, calling my attention to a newsletter that you folks put out called 2022's Best Cities for Urban Gardening. So I thought, what a great, you sure captured my attention with that one. Uh, and perhaps it is time now we have a conversation about uh, growing food in the city for the city. So, but before we do, take us to Lawn Starter, because I find that to be a fascinating notion. Um, what, what do you mean by Lawn Starter, Jeff? Lawn Starter is where you can find all the information about how to take care of your lawn and keep it green and healthy and how to get rid of pests and everything you need to do outdoors, you can find it there. And if you don't want to do it yourself because you're busy and everything else, well, we can help you find the pros to take care of that too. Good. So it's a service that uh, helps people take care of the lawn. Now, you were from a, a lawn background, right? You had a, a, a start in lawn turf grass. Right. Uh, my uncle was the largest sod grower in St. Louis. And I've got farming in my roots, too, with mm -hmm. Grandpa having a big farm in Florissant, Missouri, and Uncle Johnny having another big farm in Florissant, Missouri. And, well, I guess they saw the writing on the wall because their farms, Grandpa's became a big shopping center, and <laughs> Johnny's became a big home development. And it's like that with our agriculture. But, you know, when you brought up the notion of your uncle's turf grass business, I thought, now, that's a good example of a metropolitan crop, because that's really who you're serving with uh, turf grass, is it not? Absolutely. And when you're trying to grow sod, it makes your lawn so much easier to grow. You don't have to worry about seeds. You don't have to worry about, you know... Just roll time. it out. Absolutely. You get a green grass, you know, in a couple of days, and everything is great. You have to remember to water it. I see some sod that went in in the neighborhood where I live, <laughs> and it's, it, it's, it's brown. It's not green. Well, you know, we city people kind of lost uh, touch with our green thumb being city people the way we are. But uh, farming a parking lot this a, seems like a silly notion, does it, or is it? It's really not because all of us have space sometimes on our parking lots and our parking driveways where you can put container gardens, where you can build a, you know, a, a raised garden bed. And then you have your own sort of vegetable garden where you can get your vegetables from, your herbs, where if you want to have uh, any kind of oregano or parsley for your meals, you can grow it in your own yard. And if it turns out that you grow too much, too many tomatoes, that's a great way to meet your neighbors, to give your neighbors some of your tomatoes. And then maybe they'll give you some of your eggplants. You can exchange plants and vegetables in the harvest of your garden among yourself, and then if you can turn out that you really, really overdo it, you can just offer your food and excess to anyone in the neighborhood who needs it. Well, you know, if you think about it, what better way to start a community, uh, get to know your neighbors and to hand them some of your excess and say, uh, enjoy. Absolutely. It's a great way to do that. And, you know, through the pandemic, we were all kind of bottled up in our own areas and we spent a lot of time gardening in our backyard and Victory Gardens came back. And, you know, so people were doing a lot of this, but you also were able to go to your community gardens where you actually can see other people gardening, too, and learn from them and see what they're growing so that you can grow the same thing. 
Well, now the masks are off, and you can actually talk to the people who are next to you, hear them, and share your ideas and, you know, meet people who are living in your own neighborhood and in your own city and, and share the ideas of growing growing the fruits and vegetables that uh, will save us the trips to the grocery store, lessening our carbon footprint, and just making life a little bit better. You know, Jeff, when I first came out with Metro Farm, um, you know, the ag community kind of considered me to be a heretic when it got right down to it because the uh, of they insisted that the economies of scale dictated that farmers get big or get out. And uh, such was the way of things for many years. However, you know, the economies have a way of changing. And the ease with which we used to import food from thousands of miles away is is changing significantly, given the cost of, of everything going through the roof. Now, just recently, with respect to can we farm our parking lots, um, Driscoll Berry Associates here in California announced that they were setting up a farm in the northeast of the country. And it was going to be a vertical farm, which is to say they weren't going to plant the strawberry plants in the soil at all. They were going to plant them in trays in, in a vertical situation that would rotate. Now, in doing so, it actually they could very easily be growing commercial crops in parking lots because when you have a vertical farm, you don't need farmland. You can use city land. And in addition, you know, that by setting up a vertical farm in the Northeast, they're getting rid of all kinds of other problems too. For example, you don't have to hire stoop labor uh, to pick strawberries because the trays will rotate right to where you're at. You don't have to bend over anymore. Uh, so you can pick a lot more, a lot more quickly. Um, and you don't need to use toxic soil fumigants uh, to kill the soil microbes, and you don't need to use expensive farmland, and you don't need to ship berries, you know, thousands of miles to market. Uh, so the the whole notion of being able to grow a commercial crop on a city parking lot um, evidently is making sense to Driscoll's because they are going to invest in this vertical farm in an otherwise unfarmable location. Does that thought ever enter into your equation as you put together the 2022's best cities for urban gardening? Absolutely. You can see places like Houston where you have vertical farming taking hold there too with other big players in this space opening farms there. And the other thing to think of is, you know, we've got these big parking garages. You can do a couple things with that rooftop layer. You can either have solar panels up there or else you can garden up, up there because a lot of people don't park on the top layers of the parking garage. So there is space that can be used better than to have just concrete that people don't park their cars on. Well, it, the, the notion of moving your farm from um – where it traditionally was to where it could be, uh, this might solve a lot of problems. And I think that's what Driscoll's uh, is thinking by moving to a vertical uh, farming situation in the Northeast. Think of the marketplace. That's where the money's at. 
Um, and so you don't need a lot of space. You don't need a lot of, of, um, of uh, farmland, if that is the case indeed. So that thought being the case led you to develop a, a, a newsletter titled 2022's Best Cities for Urban Gardening. Now, why did you do that in the first place? It's something people talk about, and when you think about urban gardening, that is part of your lawn in some cases. So that's how it fits in with Lawn Starter. Is It's part of your lawn is giving up to gardening where you live, and everybody can do it, so it makes sense that way too. Um, but we looked at everything from the average yard square footage to community gardens per 100,000 residents, the supplies that you would have, what sort of stores do you have to give you the supplies that you need, the climate information, and the community, the regional gardening clubs for 100,000 residents, the number of gardening meetup groups, and community-supported agriculture per 100,000 residents, um, where did and local for friendliness. Yeah, where did you find this information, if I may ask? It, it's all out there. The Almanac, the American Community Gardening Association, the Lawn Star has the square footage for lawns, National Garden Clubs, Inc., National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. That's where we get all of our climate information from in the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and Yelp. So the information is out there, um, and what you did is you went and dug it up, which is no small talent, by the way. So uh, your background in journalism probably helped a lot there, correct? Right. You have to find the databases and then figure out how to crunch all those numbers and balance everything so that all the weights make sense, and you come up with a ranking that you know is 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 clear that you've, you've done the research to be able to tell a data-driven story. Okay, folks, this is The Food Chain. We are with Jeff Herman, who is editor-in-chief of LawnStarter.com, and now we're going to go look at the cities where urban farming and urban gardening make the most sense. Right back. Let's go back for more of What's Eating What on the Food Chain with Michael Olson. Well, isn't it a, an incredible thought? Can we farm our parking lots? Now that's where we park our cars, and we have to use that space to park cars and get around and whatnot. But, um, you know, what happens if we do, as the president suggests, come up short with our food? Should we not be thinking about uh, what we can do with our cities to produce more food for ourselves? Now, we're not going to be thinking, of course, about uh, farming wheat and corn and soybeans and uh, those giant commodity crops that use a lot of land. But there's there just about everything else that we use in the city. We can be can be grown in the city, even turf grass. Right, Jeff? Absolutely. Turf grass can be grown in the city, and it just is a lot easier to grow a lawn faster by just rolling it out. Now, I sometimes get into a discussion with people about the efficacy of golf courses and why bother having golf courses around. But to me, you know, there's nothing more important for a city person than have a place to to be able to walk on grass like you can at a golf course. Do you ever get in that argument with people? Absolutely. And the thing about golf courses is they're so incredibly well-maintained. So you've got experts, groundkeepers, and you can learn from them how to take better care of your lawn. I'm fascinated by the golf.com website lawn care stories because they're just so good. There you go. Now, 
with respect to um, your issue of 2022's best cities for urban gardening, you have a lot of criteria that you're working with, including, let's see, access to gardening space, supplies, climate, local food community. But what I did not see listed was rules and regulations. Now, uh, in my front yard, I have, gosh, maybe a dozen, maybe 15 fruit trees. There are some cities in the United States and some uh, homeowners associations where I would be run out of town for that. That is correct. Rule number one was anything you do in your yard, whether it's growing plants in a garden or whether it's taking down trees, or whether you're blowing your lease with a gas-powered leaf blower, you have to know the rules where you live because you have to abide by the rules more than anything else. If you can't grow vegetables in your front yard, you can do it on your side yard or your patio. There's always some place where you can do it. Uh, so you know, just explore your local rules and regulations because you don't want to wind up, you know, in in sort of facing some sort of a fine because of something that you didn't know when you thought you were doing good. You know, with respect to 2022's best cities for urban gardening, I think what you're really asking people to do is think differently about their city. Am I right? No, absolutely. If you can think about all the things that you can grow on your own and how you can grow the food that you eat, that makes it much more sustainable. It, and it's a great way for your kids to learn about growing their own food and you know, plant colorful vegetables because they'll get the kids excited. Let them pick out the vegetables that you're going to grow in your own garden or a community garden. And for older people, it's just a great activity to you know, keep us all active. And at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it's just great exercise. Now, with respect to space, we all seem to think we need a lot more space than we might actually need. Uh, and so that is going to require that we retrain how we think about space. Is it not true? Absolutely. If you live in an apartment, if you have a balcony, you can have container gardening out there for herbs. You can grow your own tomato plants vertically. If you can't grow them horizontally, you can make use of the space that you have around you to be able to grow plants, fruits, and vegetables for your own meals. And then again, if you have any extra, that's a great way to meet neighbors. Yeah, I once did a radio show from Soldad State Prison, and the prison was um, featuring a horticultural program. And so some of the prisoners enrolled in that, and their job was to plant plants around the prison. And it was an interest, <laughs> it was an interesting observation because you could see the difference in the in the kinds of prisoners, those who took care of the plants and those who didn't. And you could actually see the difference in them. Uh, and I think it probably has a lot, the same effect on those of us who live in city apartments too. If we can manage to bring plants into our lives, uh, it probably changes the way we see the world when it gets right down to it. What do you think? When you think about Valentine's Day, there was someone who wrote a piece that said, if you're trying to figure out whether that's a good possible match for you, find out if they garden. Because if they can take care of plants, then they're caring, they're thoughtful, they can do things regularly like watering. And this is somebody who might be at the top of your list. Not bad. It's almost like finding a nurse or a teacher, right? 
Right. That caring <laughs> spirit comes through. There you go. Um, and so when we look at a city, uh, if you fly over a city, you always see a lot of space. Who owns all that empty space? Well, that depends. A lot of people have – I'm in Texas, so a lot of that empty space is owned by people who have ranch land. And, you know, that's a lot of what's here in Texas. But in many places, it's just ready to be, you know, either sharecropped or bought or used or, you know, just just find out what that empty space is. But don't be too far away from your convenience stores and the things that you need to. Yeah, the market. Right. You want to be close. And the, the closer you get to the market, it seems the more densely the population the centers are. So you have to come to grips with the more expensive things are. Now that comes. So if you don't own the land, are there other ways of controlling? I always, you know, tell people it's not necessary to own land, but it is necessary to control land if you're going to be growing things in it. Right. There's community gardens every place across the city. That's one of the things that, you know, St. Louis, my hometown, is really big on is community gardening. So, you know, you can rent your space there, you can garden, and then bring it home. Again, that's saving you a whole lot more trips to the grocery store for whatever kind of fruits and vegetables. If you grow them your own, if you can walk to the community garden, that's even better. Um, you know, so yeah, community gardening is one way. And then you've got container boxes that you can put on just about any part. You don't have to have the ground itself. You can mm-hmm. put container gardens and, and raised garden beds on whatever space you have. And then, of course, you get into the whole technology of vertical farms and things like that uh, that are just really, you know, coming into fruition when it gets right down to it. We're just learning how to, to do this and do it well, uh, as evidenced by the fact that the Driscoll folks are heading in that direction. So um, don't need much space when it gets down to it. So there are other criteria that you list as well. Um, supplies. What do you mean by supplies? It's important to have access to the tools that you're going to need and the fertilizers and whatnot, right? Right. That's where you come into play with the nursery and garden centers that have the plants. If you want seeds, where you can get the seeds. If you have the, the potting soil that you need for your container gardens, all the things that you need, do you have access to that? Of course, we can all have everything delivered to our door through you know, Amazon <laughs> and other services like that. But, you know, if it's close by, you know, and, and it's also nice to be able to see what a plant looks like and to be able to see, you know, the, the label on it. Is it going to work in shade? Is it going to work in sun? Make sure that you've got the right plants for your space and to be able to talk to somebody who's actually there at the garden center who can point you in the right direction. You know, I, I recall when the pandemic hit, uh, one of the things that was, one of the businesses that was forced to close was all of the local um, gardening centers. Now, you could still go to the big gardening centers, like at Home Depot and whatnot, but all the little ones were closed. And I was very resentful of that fact because all of those small mom-and-pop gardening centers uh, have the information and the the local knowledge that really helps when you're selecting plants and what to feed the plants and how to chase the bugs away and whatnot. Did you find that to be true in Texas as well? Yeah, I didn't see it so much here in Texas, but one of my friends from Indianapolis, the Hoosier gardener, Joellen Meyer-Sharp, 
I know she continued to volunteer and work at one of the garden centers there in Indianapolis, um, but you just didn't see the, the traffic that you saw before because everybody was staying close to home. Yeah. Well, uh, now that everybody's staying closer to home, even after, you know, the pandemic, it seems to be at an ebb, uh, people are spending more time at home. And what better way to do that than to um, stick your fingers in the soil and get things growing? At least that's when, been the way it's been around my house. So, so and it, it's cheap therapy. For me, I missed my yard because... I could grow things, I could see it grow, and you see immediate results of what you're doing in the soil, whether it's growing vegetables like carrots or beets, or, you know, and then you use them in a salad, you know, add some, you know, oranges, mandarin oranges and some dressing and you're good. Um, you know, if you see how you yourself can make a difference, you're not buying that stuff in the store, you're actually growing it. You have such a sense of making a difference for your family and just for the planet. Are you an apartment dweller now? In Ta- I am now. In Dallas? Well, you know, I always counsel people that there is a way, you know, that you can participate in agriculture, in farming, and in gardening, even though you're in an apartment, and that is to go to the farmer's market. And, right, uh, absolutely. And, and participate. I remember growing... I remember growing up in St. Louis, my dad, you know, grandpa had the farm, but dad went to Produce Row every day. So Produce Row is where all of the fruits and vegetables come in that are going out to all the stores in St. Louis area. Every city has its own. Uh, but the same thing, farmer's markets, you can find just everything from herbs to uh, honey to uh, plants and vegetables. It's, it's all there, and it's every Saturday in just about every city. Yeah, and a most wonderful way for the for a city person who does not have access to a lot of space or whatnot to become involved, and they also sell plants there, so you can grab a plant and stick it in a in a pot and uh, start your own little micro mini farm and and uh, get going that way. So those right. are, those things are all very important, and of course, climate is important, right? Absolutely. You have to have the right climate, and you also have to make sure that when you're planting your first garden, to make sure that you have sun, because you have to have six to eight hours of sun per day. Then you find the right place, whether it's going to be your balcony, your patio, containers, uh, window boxes, vertical space, whatever you need, and then the soil, six inches for plants that are 12 inches or under, you have to have that depth of six inches so they can actually grow with their roots. And then if it's a taller plant, you have to have a foot of soil in your container garden or raised garden bed so that the roots can go where they need to go. Drainage, make sure you've got the right drainage because you don't want to avoid root rot. And potting soil, it's lighter and it's better. It drains better than regular ground soil. And water, you just have to remember to water and, you know, don't overwater, but water. And if you're really concerned about the environment, there's drip irrigation systems that will even lower the water that you're, you're, you're paying for to keep your garden growing. Yeah, and if you think about vertical farming, uh, as per the folks of uh, Driscoll and their berries and their strawberries and whatnot, uh, that irrigation really becomes the means by which you deliver food to the plant as well in your right. vertical farm. So you're not really growing in, in soil per se. As a matter of fact, soil could be a problem. So you you probably are going to be using an inert medium 
in which there are no you know soil organisms. Um, so there's all kinds of things to explore there. That's for sure. Um, so climate is very important, and and then um, you went about collecting all of this information to find the, the uh, best places to to do your uh, urban gardening. And so let, I'd like to go through some of these best cities that uh, in, that you compile. And some of the worst ones, too. So you have a, a bit of both of them there. So let's start with the growing season. Now, uh, before we do that, I'd like to say that uh, in in uh, researching my book, Metro Farm, one of the farms that I focused on was in the little town of Shepherd, Montana, which is 30 miles outside of Billings, Montana, which probably has some of the worst growing season in the world because it gets cold fast and stays cold long. Um, but somehow I think that weather uh, really makes people appreciate the growing season even more than those of us who live when it's always nice, like I am here in California. Um, you know, when it's when spring comes um, in that kind of climate, uh, it comes really heavily and uh, it's intoxicating. Uh, whereas here, we probably just take kind of take it for granted. Um, what do you think? Absolutely. And you treasure that time that you have to plant because you don't have the time that you have in California. You have to make the most of the time that you have for your season and to be able to plant so that you get the, the harvest that you want because it's just you just don't have all year round to, to plant. Yeah. So in the winter, when it's too cold to have your fingers in the soil, you've got your fingers in the seed catalog and you're thinking, you know, what can I do? What can I grow that will make the most sense in the least amount of time that I have? So you do a lot of thinking at that time of year. And uh, that's part of the fun of winter too, right? Right. Absolutely. You have to plan ahead for that next growing season so that you're all set to go when, when you get the, the green light or the greening up is starting to take place outside. Well, good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Food Chain Radio Program, the 1310th edition of the Food Chain, as a matter of fact. Today we're talking uh, with Jeff Herman, who is the editor-in-chief of uh, LawnStarter.com. And as you can probably hear from your, his voice, an experienced broadcast professional and um, also an editor at uh, New York Times. And he's now working with an organization called LawnStarter.com which uh, is a place where people can learn how to start and keep a lawn, uh, which is a very big deal. Now, we can't have them here where I live because there's no water. But uh, I think about them, and we do have a golf course, and I pray that that stays open so I can walk on the lawn once in a while. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at the cities where it's best to do some urban gardening. Right back. So much to say, so little time to say it, on The Food Chain with Michael Olson. Well, here we are, 2022's Best Cities for Urban Gardening. Uh, There are a lot of cities around our country, but uh, some of them are better. What was it Napoleon the Pig said? All animals are created equal, but some are created more equal than others. And such is true for uh, urban gardening and farming. So let's start with growing seasons. And um, 
who which city has the longest and the best growing season? For growing seasons, those California cities all were at the top. It's Oakland, number one, Los Angeles, number two, and number one is Oakland, but then you have just a whole tie. Los Angeles, number two, tied with Irvine, tied with Glendale, tied with Anaheim, tied with Long Beach, tied with Huntington Beach, tied with Pasadena, and tied with Fullerton. I guess that might be why they should call it the green state instead of the golden state. Right, absolutely. So what about the rest of the world? Isn't there any other good place to for urban gardening? Why is California so dominant? What about Florida? Florida also is terrific, but we had sort of a hazard index in 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 these studies. And in some cases, Florida, you have a problem with the uh, hurricanes. In California, you have problems with wildfires. Um, you know, we have some signs natural hazard indexes, but for the growing season, that's where California just stood out all the way around. Yeah. In Florida, I just I should I should explain that, you know, I worked in Tampa for a while and most people don't know that Ruskin, a suburb of Tampa, is known as the big tomato. The big tomato is where all uh, so many of the tomatoes in the US come from. Um, and so Florida definitely has its big growing season and its growing crops. There's strawberries from Plant City, there's blueberries throughout Florida too. You could pick your own in Gainesville, Florida. You know, you know, Florida is very much uh, vegetable and, and, and uh, fruit breadbasket for the country. And you also list five cities that are the worst places to, to do urban farming and gardening. And um, Colorado Springs, right there on top. What's wrong with Colorado Springs? Let me guess. <laughs> <laughs> Colorado Springs is mostly, apparently, that is due to the weather conditions more than anything else. They don't seem to have the, the weather that California has, and it's just not as conducive to having the number of places where you can get access to the supplies that you need. Um, but more than anything else, it's, it's weather. And down at the bottom of the list, you saw that you know, Anchorage, which is not some place where you would think there would be a lot of urban gardening. Anchorage was the bottom of our list of uh, the... Right. Anchorage is tied with Lakewood, Colorado. Right, right. So again, you know, Colorado, those those growing seasons make a really big factor. There it is. And then uh, I see way down at the bottom of the list, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yes, again, growing season. You don't have a very long time to do your urban gardening, and Sioux Falls isn't a big metro metro area, so you don't really have as many places where you can get all your supplies that you need to. There you go. So a number of things that make uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, not such a good place. Let's talk about the spaces. And here you list yard sizes. Um, and I would suspect that would uh, uh, have a lot to do with the availability of land, where you have a lot of land, you can have big yards, right? That is correct. And so the yard sizes are some odd places like... Uh, on the northeast, you have very large sizes, not not in the big urban areas like New York City, but Vermont and places like that that have big yard sizes. And then also in the south, like Mobile, Alabama, and Birmingham, Alabama, have very large yards too. Yeah, I noticed that in with respect to yard size, it seems like the south reigns supreme. Number one is Baton Rouge, Macon, Georgia, Mobile, Alabama, Clarksville, Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee. So that's where they have the big yards. What about growing season in the south like that? Growing season, it's just 
it's not as great as California for the length of days, but you have really good weather through most of the year. You just have to worry a little bit more about storms rolling through every once in a while that could cause havoc to your garden. And everything else when it gets right down to it. Right. Because <laughs> they do have their storms, that's for sure. Uh, smallest yards. Let's see. Seattle, uh, Jersey City, New Jersey, Chicago, Philadelphia, Washington. So we're talking metropolitan areas, right? Absolutely. There's so many places that are apartments and condos and townhomes that don't have a whole lot of space in, and certainly not yards as we know it. So that's what basically skews those cities to having the smallest yard space because so many people living in those cities don't have a yard of their own. I just, um, a few weeks ago, interviewed a gal who uh, calls herself the apartment farmer, and she had uh, an ungodly number of houseplants growing in her. I, I think she was in Jersey City, New Jersey. I think she had like 500 plants in her apartment, uh, wow. something like that, <laughs> which is pretty indicative of, of um, she would be a good partner, I guess, right? Absolutely, and a great partner. She takes care of her plants. Absolutely. There you go. So she's got to take care of you. She takes that good care of plants, yeah. Now, uh, most nursery and gardening supply stores per 100,000 residents. Now, where did you get this? Is this from the Nursery Supply uh, Association or something like that? You get the information? Yes, that's that's where we got that from. And then we also checked Yelp for listings there, too. So we were able to pull that together. Miami comes out on top. San Francisco, you've got plenty of supplies and stores nearby so that you can get what you need there. Uh, Salinas, California, uh, Salem, Oregon, and Santa Ana, California. Salinas. Were one, two, three, four, five. Interesting. Uh, so those are we, there's one in Oregon and one in Florida. So Miami. Tell us about Miami. There's so many play, people who garden there, and there's so many shops down there, whether the big chains or local chains. There's lots of places where you can get what you need, whether it's seeds, whether it's plants, whether it's fertilizer, whether it's potting soil. It's, it's all there and, and nearby. Mm -hmm. But why? what is it about Miami that gets people to growing? I think it's the sunshine. It is a really nice way to be able to spend time in your yard. Just stay clear of that, you know, peak awful season of July to late August. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, it's a beautiful part of the country, and it's a beautiful place to garden. And I, w I would suspect they're very big on ornamental plants in Miami. Yes, ornamental matters a lot because you have palm trees. You have a lot of native grasses. You have a lot of things that, you know, it, it, it's very pretty when you're landscaping around a pool, when you're landscaping around your backyard. You know, there are a lot of outdoor things that you do in your yard. So uh, ornamental plants are a great way to showcase your yard and your property. And, we, you know, when thinking about farming for the city, ornamental plants are is a huge consideration because um, city people like to dress them, their property up, themselves up, and their, their environments. And uh, so those, those uh, ornamental plants are extremely important. And, you know, when we brought up the notion of Miami, I got to thinking about all of those beautiful tropical uh, orchids and, and, and flowering plants that you could bring in to make your property sparkle. 
right? Home appeal and curb appeal are what really sells a home. So if you can, that's that's the thing to do is ornamental plants really, they add that, that pop of color, that greenery that will really showcase your house. Good. And then uh, most community gardens. And interestingly enough, there's your St. Louis. Yes. Uh, it surprised me, too. I do remember walking from a benefit one time through South St. Louis and seeing all the community gardens around the city that I didn't even know were in the area where I live. So it's nice to see so many people making a difference and growing their own and you know, seeing their neighbors growing their own, too. Other cities with a lot of community gardens, Atlanta, Salt Lake City, and Cincinnati. So uh, let's look at those who don't have a lot of community gardens. uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, what's the deal, folks? Naperville, Illinois, St. Paul, Minnesota, Garland, Texas, and Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay, so what's the difference between... Those cities that have community gardens and those that don't, is that uh, there must be something going on that uh, that those cities that don't have them would not want them. Why not? I think in Fort Lauderdale, there's just so many other things to do, and people are always driving and going places that they don't have the time for community gardening or they don't make the time for community gardening. In Naperville, it has a weird like season that doesn't really allow a whole lot of things to do outdoors. Um, so that would be why Naperville is in that mix, too. St. Paul, Minnesota, again, climate is a big factor there. Garland, Texas, which is in my backyard here, there's just not a whole lot of people who actually do a lot of gardening here, so that actually is something I can speak to firsthand. So is that um, Dallas? Is, is that a Dallas suburb, Garland? Right. Gar- Garland is a Dallas suburb, and you know, Dallas uh, has Garland and Mesquite are kind of together, and Garland and Mesquite traditionally – you know, in our urban gardening study, do not do very well because I guess people are commuting to downtown for work, and when they get home, maybe they don't wind up doing gardening in their yard. Right. So it's a commuter city then. Right. Okay. And if you're commuting, you're spending your time commuting instead of gardening. Right. Although it's a great stress reliever. Gardening (laughs) is a really great stress reliever. Maybe should be gardening then and are not. Right. Uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah, Chattanooga, I think, is just climate-related more than anything else. Um, but it all comes down to if there are people there who believe in this and are setting up the community gardens so that this can happen. And this particular data comes from the – let me see if I can find the source here. But that is actually from the Community Gardening Association. So that's self-reported um, you know, to that Community Gardening Association. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to help set up a community garden and um, uh, at a church that had a lot. And um, it was a wonderful way of building the church's community because the the congregants could have something to contribute to that they could see right there in front of their eyes. And it brought people in from the surrounding community because it gave them a place to garden where they didn't have a place. So... You know, it's a wonderful thing to see blossom when it actually comes into fruition, that the community of a community garden, and it uh, be nice to see a lot more of that happening. Uh, and you also point out gardening clubs and, and such. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Right. There's a lot of people who meet through meetup, and there are gardening clubs that have meetings so they can learn from each other and maybe have a master gardener visiting so that they get some expertise and tips. So that's also another way to be able to get knowledge from somebody who's a pro. I ran into a um, a fruit growers gardening club uh, here where I live, and they have a, a huge warehouse filled with or greenhouse filled with growing bota- um, it's a botanical garden of rare fruit. Cherimoya, uh, papaya, mangoes, all kinds of uh, tree tree tomatoes, just all kinds of interesting things, and they were alive with their love of what they were doing. They were just like kids in a toy store, these people, and um, what they were experiencing. So uh, probably a good indication of of, uh, how good a city might be with respect to urban gardening and farming. So most gardening clubs, Winston-Salem, South Carolina, well, look at this. They're all from the South. Why is that? We got Winston-Salem, Augusta, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia. I just imagine Savannah would be the place for a gardening club. Why not? Uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and Virginia Beach, Virginia. I think it's a southern hospitality thing because it's one way that you meet friends. It's one way that you socialize and you talk about, you know, whatever you're cooking, whatever you're winding up growing. It's a great way to build your community. There it is. And then fewest gardening clubs. Boo. Lakewood, Colorado. And again, we're running into that climate, I suspect. Kansas City. Newark, New Jersey. The Garden State, no less. Why that? Why why not Newark? Right. I think that's basically because it's just not a very social city when it comes to things like garden clubs. People don't really get together very often outside of outside of work and staying at home, and you know they don't really get outside much in Newark, New Jersey, a lot. Same thing with Detroit, um, Kansas City, Kansas. Most of the attention is always given to Kansas City, Missouri. So Kansas City, Kansas. Same thing there. Lakewood, California, as you said, climate and Shreveport. That's surprising. I don't live far from Shreveport, but um, I, I when I get there the next time, I have to figure out why why <laughs> that gardening club is just a big difference there. Now, when you travel around, do you look for that? Do you look for gardens? Do you look for for signs of, of uh, gardening and whatnot? I do because it's something I care about. And, you know, through my Twitter page or through, you know, just my Facebook photos, it's it's just nice to see the color. It's nice to see, you know, what's in bloom. It's just, it's, it's kind of like you look for signs all around you that, you know, things are blooming and, and fresh and live. And you can't you can't miss that. My favorite place here in Dallas is the the Dallas Rose Garden, which has a daylily like farm where people grow their own daylilies. And just watching that or going up there is a great place for me to visit. But it does for your mind. Well, Jeff right. Herman, who is the editor in chief of uh, LawnStarter.com, how do we find 2022's best cities for urban gardening? The simplest thing is to go to LawnStarter.com, and there's a tab for the blog. Click on that blog. And then you'll see the study story is pretty much right at the top there. And if you can't find it, well, it's lawnstarter.com slash blog and then studies oh, right, and right. best cities for or simply just Google it. That's the simplest way I do it. There you go. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on the food chain. Fantastic. Have a great day and garden some. Ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da
You've been listening to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with Michael Olson. And if your friends miss the show, tell them to log on the Food Chain page at MetroFarm.com for a listen. Now, go out and find some food with its farmer's face on it and live. <laughs>